Welcome back to the latest episode of Nerd Out, where I am joined by my esteemed colleagues, Joe Levy and Bridget Johnson today. Welcome back to you guys. We have not talked since the end of 2022. So what have you guys been up to? Joe, uh, I'll start with you. What, what, what's been going on with the new year? Happy New Year. I mean, this is good. Well, thank you. Happy New Year to you and Bridget. Um, yeah, after I uh, came back from my food coma from eating so much uh, during the holidays, um, <laughs> And I uh, finally got myself back to the gym. Uh, I've been uh, been doing a lot of work on preparing for the uh, AVSS uh, Academy as Venue Safety and Security, which is uh, this coming week in Pittsburgh. So I'm happy to talk a little bit about that. But it's it's been kind of consuming. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, really great uh, people coming and joining us in Pittsburgh. So excited about that. Yeah, one of those individuals is uh, Andy Jabor, our uh, Gate 15 partner here. Um, but yeah, let's talk about that one uh, coming up here, Joe, because I think it applies to a lot of some of the, the to the topics we're going to be carrying on about today. So yeah, let's put a pin on that one for right now. But that sounds like an exciting uh, opportunity this coming week uh, in Pittsburgh. So great. Uh, well, great to have you here, Joe, of course, and and uh, hopefully fit and ready to go for an endurance uh, run this year. So uh, Bridget, how about you? Happy new year to you. And uh, how you, how have you made out so far this year? Happy nerdy new year to both of you. <laughs> nerdy new year. I like it. Nerdy like new it. year. Um, yeah, we've been off to a quick start, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Security wise. So um, I don't think there's, there's been much of a holiday break per se, but, um, but yeah, so just, uh, getting deep into it it's supposed to be like 80 one day here this week and i'm like what is going on so and that was after that horrible frigid cold that we had with the arctic blast like a month month and a half ago that came down but yeah and i i just saw weird winter I, and I just saw today too, we're going to have a winter storm coming through here later on this week too. So you oh get gosh. 80 degrees one day and then the next day you're down to, you know, 30 degrees and a chance of snow. So I right. think it's all very interesting, but you brought it up, Bridget. So let's jump into some of that first topic here. It has been quite a start to the new year. Um, we've had a couple incidents. Well, there's been a lot of incidents, but of note, there were two incidents in California, uh, one around the, the Chinese uh, New Year, the Lunar New Year. And, and then that was followed, uh, I don't think a week later, uh, by another um, shooting at a farm in, in California. Uh, might be more of a workplace violence type of incident, but nonetheless, two hostile events um, with a lot of areas that uh, we keep hitting on in these podcasts. So I know you wrote about this, Bridget, and you especially you wrote about some of the takeaways from here. So what 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 did you learn most from these type of events? The California shootings and being Californian myself, you know, I, I'm familiar with the, the areas that, that they attacked and familiar with the um, communities that live there. Um, but one of the really striking things that, you know, made me sit down and do a, a deep dive into it um, was that uh, so few um, uh, mass shooters fall into um, both the ethnicity and the age demographic of um, the, both of the, the, the shooters. Um, having um, older Asian males um, and having older Asian males who had divergent motives, um, you know, we're not sure the Southern California one, but um, it doesn't seem to be the workplace violence that was the case in Half Moon Bay. 
Um, but um, both of them also did a little spree. You know, they went and they hit multiple targets. Luckily, the, the shooter was stopped at the second target um, by that very brave Brandon Say in, uh, in Southern California. Um, but um, that just underscores that when we think about copycatting that happens after mass shootings, um, I think, you know, some tend to think that the copycats stay within um, ideological copycatting or target copycatting or, um, you know, just kind of staying within the, the, the same realm of, you know, what the first type of killer was, you know, school shooter to school shooter, et cetera. Um, but in this case, I think that the, um, the, the rareness of older Asian male shooters um, kind of demonstrated that the, 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 the effect of copycatting is, can be as simple as someone seeing themselves in a mass shooter and someone putting themselves in that mass shooter's shoes thinking of how it must have felt for them to um, unleash the beast, so to speak, and go after their enemies and um, inflict violence. And they think about how they would feel uh, doing that same thing to whoever is in their sights um, for whatever motive, um, for whatever reason. And I think that was probably a lot of what we saw in California. Um, was a, a would-be shooter who had maybe been stewing for a while. Um, that's what we know about the the shooter in Half Moon Bay. Uh, is that the you know there were issues with work, there were issues with um, that had been happened in workplaces um, a long time before that. You know the second location that he went to, he hadn't worked there for years. Um, so I, I think that we need to be really cognizant of how copycatting occurs and I think just um how um unfortunately how often we might see it this year you know when, when I did my my top seven terror trends for the year um the first one was copycatting um because one of the the things that I've seen um in like the online accelerationist communities is um how much they rely on that to get the the next shooter um up to bat so to speak and how the um the shooter at uh outside a gay bar in in slovakia um was inspired by the buffalo supermarket mass shooter and put that you know in a very detailed form in his manifesto and said you know i'd been thinking about it i'd been following brent tarrant and and, you know, just kind of formulating my views and coming up with plans, but it was Peyton Gendron at the supermarket who really put the nail in the coffin and, and made me just want to go and do that. So, so um, you, I'm sorry, Bridget, but you even talked to that last year is, you know, you, you, when you talked about the Buffalo Shooters Manifesto, it was in some respects he was talking to the next shooter he was giving that next shooter the motivation the the uh you know the kind of 
hey, it's okay to be scared sometimes. It's okay to be not to be a professional here, but you can still carry out the, I had these concerns and, and I still carry them out. I mean, that manifesto was not written so much to expound on his views, which he did too, but right. also to, to kind of talk to the next, the next layer of, of attacker. Is that fair? Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that these accelerationists keep a saint's calendar yeah. of yeah. mass killers that they deemed to have been canonized because of uh, their um, ideological bent and what they attacked and how many people they may have killed um, just, you know, serves to the, um, uh, you know, how, how they're, they're basically lifting these people up to try and get that next person to come in and commit some sort of a crime. And I have to say that right now, um, the online forums of those communities, the accelerationists are very impatient. Mm -hmm. um, they haven't had uh, a Buffalo shooting in a while, and they basically want 2023 to get started, so to speak, in that respect. So that's another very concerning thing to watch for. Well, and especially since we saw like in that May-June timeframe where we had the, the hard reset and we had those other accelerationists things. And, and I know there was a lot of concern within the community that, oh my gosh, it's going to be like tomorrow, everybody's going to start just uh, opening up on things. But we did have, you know, near the end, and that never materialized, but then we had near the end of the year, a couple of attacks on power stations and, and substations and such. And, and then the earlier this year, we had the arrest of, of two individuals who were accused of doing such an attack. And, and so it's, it, it's, it's definitely an interesting time for sure. And, and if that's, you know, if the, if the, the activity is, as you say, it is, we definitely need to be on guard uh, for that. So Joe, you know, when you look at these, uh, particularly the first California shooting, you know, you went to, and these occurred in strip malls. Um, these occurred in, and the second one was a, at a farm location, not necessarily areas that you would, you know, feel would need a level of security um, that can really try, I mean, these are hard places to secure. Uh, I, I know with your work with IAVM, you know, you guys work very hard on access security and, and perimeter security and doing a lot of the uh, venue protection. Strip malls are hard. I mean, the, the, this is a hard thing to do. Um, it seems like in the second uh, location where, where as, as Bridget mentioned, the, the individual did prevent a larger shooting, there was a little bit of a barrier between the entrance and the activity where more people gathered, but it is a very challenging environment to secure. I mean, are, do you have any thoughts on, on how, it, you know, organizations can look at, you know, small spaces, you kind of have to maximize what you have for the, what you're paying. I mean, th this, these are tough, right? Yeah, you know, this is probably the, the the largest challenge that we have in aggregate across all different sectors and venue types. Like, how do I secure my venue? Like, what's the best practice? What's the smart practice? And the, and the challenge is, is that uh, you can't apply a cookie cutter approach because what you need and what I need are different. The resources that you have at your disposal are different than mine. You know, how much cash can you get your hands on to implement, you know, guards, gear, et cetera, is going to be different than what I can. Um, you know, you might have a building that has locked back doors. Someone might have a campus that has no perimeter fence. It's like, it is really, really difficult. So um, you, there are a lot of things that you can do, but what you can't do is nothing. 
Um, and and you, you, have to, you have to get some people together. And if you don't have the resources at your one venue, you know, if you're a small facility or a medium-sized facility, uh, then you, you try to bring a group of you together. Maybe you can share some resources. Um, situational training is probably bar none the most important thing you can do. And, you know, when you hear Bridget talk, it's, it, it's like it's scary because, A, she's got her finger on the pulse, and she's seeing things that are happening not only in this country but all over the world. And um, you, 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 do this, you, you do the thing that you don't want to do, which is like, you know, you, you, you train people and you say, these are the things that you should look out for, right? But you then have to also say that you want to profile behavior and not people. But now you start, you know, so overwhelmingly, we know that the data is that most mass shootings are done by white men, right? That is, of course, now that's going to change eventually. And what you don't want to do is instill into people sort of an unnecessary fear of anyone who doesn't look like you, right? But you but you have to be diligent, you have to be vigilant, you have to be on your game always. Like you have to get it right every single time that perpetrator or bad actor only has to get lucky once, right? So it's really, really important that you lean heavy into situational awareness training and that really try to instill into your people, everyone from the head of your security department to your administrative staff, to the people who are on your maintenance team, your faculty, your guests, your athletes, you know, it doesn't matter. You have to encourage them if they see something to say something. And I'd rather risk a little bit of embarrassment than to miss, some, miss something that was very, very important. Um, and, and I've actually, get, you know, I give situational awareness training often, and I've actually been in a, in, a, in a course a year or so ago where somebody really pushed back on me saying that, you know, I was only giving the statistics that are making people scared of you know, other people that, you know, they shouldn't be suspicious of. And I would say to that, well, if you're on a campus or you're in a building or in a parking lot and there is a behavior that your spidey sense is tingling about, I think you should do something about that. Now, that doesn't mean that you should attack someone. Right, that means right. you should take measures to protect yourself. You know, whether that means run away or get in your car or lock the door, um, you should do those things. And if you're working a small or a large venue and you see something that's out of place, someone who a year ago was a troubled employee and they're back, you know what? They may well be just there to shop for the day, but they may not. So you should tell somebody, you know, talk to somebody who's higher up on the food chain, talk to someone in the head of security, you know, don't jump to a conclusion, but don't pass it off as being something, well, it's probably nothing. Again, I personally would rather risk a little bit of embarrassment than a loss of life or a serious injury. So that's when I, when I hear about these things that are happening, it is classic. It won't happen here. Those things happen somewhere else. They happen at concerts. They happen at, you know, uh, uh, sporting events. They happen on college campuses. No, we have proven time and time again, it happens in places of worship. It happens in strip malls. It happens in rural settings. But you just have to pay attention when you're outside and about. It's, it's the most important thing that you can do. Well, and just using that California example um, example as well. I mean, the individual, the the threat actor came in, the shooter came into the facility, was looking around, looked a little unusual, looked weird, and that was picked up on. And and that individual right. at that point in time said, "I have to do something to here." And, and again, it's it's a difference between. You know, I'm sure his immediate thing is I'm not going to tackle this guy to the ground and I'm going to, you know, start assaulting him. But it, it is going to be I have I recognize something's unusual here uh, and I'm going to have to move forward with it. And ultimately, the, the situation did unfold rather quickly and, and it was a, a tackle to the ground and, and a scuffle at that point. 
But to your to the larger point is, you know, this situational awareness, we can, you know, we've mentioned it on this podcast time and time again. I think you and Bridget both hit it after, you know, I think in, in sometime last summer is is really understanding that you, you just can't be going through your day, you know, unaware of your surroundings anymore. You have to be alert, aware. You have to be challenging, you know, behaviors. You have to be challenging what you think is normal. And I think this is, um, uh, this is exactly the reason why. And, and I think you brought a great point about, you know, this does occur everywhere now. We cannot sit back and say, well, that happened over there and it's, it's not connected. But you, using the, the, the example Bridget cited earlier is in Europe, in Eastern Europe, mind you, you know, an individual cited an incident that happened in Buffalo, New York. I mean, the, the, these are connected now and, and these groups are communicating. People can find forms with uh, information here and they can copycat. I think it's a it's a great point uh, all around there. So um, now, if I can, let me add one other thing to it, which is, you know, those of us in security, we know, you know, Mm -hmm. I've always asked this one question, well, how are you going to prevent it from happening? And the answer is I'm not, I can't, I don't think there's any venue uh, that can prevent it. But you know, what we're doing is we're trying to mitigate the loss of life or serious injury. So we're trying to just reduce the numbers. And when we do like, walk through magnetometers or frictionless or screenings or whatever that is, or, you know, mirroring under cars, any of those things that we're doing, we're trying to prevent a greater number from occurring because it is really, really hard to think of and prevent every single possible scenario. They're always a step ahead. So the things that you're implementing are really trying to protect the greater number of people uh, and the people who Put their lives on the line. If you think about it, they really are doing it when they're up front at the, you know, the first perimeter or the second perimeter security screening. They're really the ones who are involved with any immediate, uh, you know, uh, emergency action. Um, and that's what that's what that team is doing. They're trying to keep it from getting into the venue where a greater number of people are likely to be harmed. Yeah, great, great points, uh, Joe. Really great points. So, Bridget, you you know you kind of teed on something about the accelerists or accelerationists are are being a little uh, antsy right now in 2023. You know, we are coming at a time. This week kicks off uh, the Easter season for. Uh, the Christian faith, and there will be Passover for the Jewish faith coming up soon. Then we have uh, uh, the the Ramadan coming up. We're we're hitting into uh, I don't want to say uh, a lot of significant events for faith based organizations, but we are. We're, we're this is coming up in rapid succession now, and and I imagine you know this this coming year too, the Hajj will be uh, back to normal opportunities again. This invites these type of groups. I mean, we've seen the accelerationist groups. Uh, specifically targeting uh, members of the Jewish faith, uh, amongst other types of faiths as well, but really calling out Judaism. Um, as we're embarking on this season and the time of year, are there thoughts? What What are you seeing from your end? And are there thoughts about uh, ways that organizations can approach this time of year? Well, I have to say it was a little bit shocking last week when you know I was going through Justice Department news and um there was you know a bit about the um the individual who was arrested for two sniper attacks outside synagogues in los angeles and uh, it seemed like you know just a few years ago that would have made the news more (laughs) i mean and um but just um how chilling that 
that you know that is for for the Jewish community going into um, the, the the season here. Um, the fact that somebody who had expressed anti-Semitic views um, just decided to lie in wait and um, target, you know, individuals um, who, you know, appeared Jewish. Um, it, it's, you kind of couple that with um, the, the recent findings that came out from the American Jewish Committee um, on how the Jewish community feels about their security and safety in America and the incidents that have contributed contributed to it from the, the Coleyville synagogue hostage incident um, to, I think that, you know, if you kind of retook that survey after what happened in LA, um, there would even be, be more heightened concern. Um, so, you know, you, you have, um, this 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 just really bad climate um going in into the season um you have uh extremists um with different takes on um you know different denominations of christianity who could um you know also target churches for similar reasons um and then of course um the the muslim community being a target as well um so, you know, I, I think it's really an opportunity for um, faith-based organizations to um, just really dive into all of the resources that are available to them, to information share with each other, to information share with um, the ISAO, to information share with um, their local police departments and federal officials who are there to, to help faith-based organizations through, through some of that, they really have to ask themselves, you know, who might attack us and how might they attack us? And just kind of red teaming at that, you know, going at it from the, the point of view of um, the, the foe who could be showing up um, to a house of worship, um, to um, even an event that is, you know, connected somehow to the, the the religious community or you know connected to um you know a, a house of worship um there are you know a lot of weak points and um even though of course you know that the season has to be a welcoming one for people of faith who are who are going to these communities um i think that the the, the Coleyville incident demonstrated you know with the the rabbi who had undergone this sort of training um as to uh, you know what to do when you're when your synagogue is targeted and um he credited that with being able to respond to uh the incident as it was as as it happened um and i i think that's that's a that's a huge example you know you have to say yes you know, we want to welcome all who want to come in and worship, especially during the season. Um, but, you know, we also know who might attack us, how they might attack us, and why we're a soft target. Yeah, so many so many really good points there, Bridget. And, and I think, again, you hit on the one part there at the end, or, you know, like, you want to be welcoming. And, and again, for some uh, organ faith-based groups. I mean, Easter is one of the most heavily attended times of the year. 
Um, and, and so you may not get that person who attends regularly, but may only attend once a year. And it's, so it's hard for organizations or faith-based groups to discern who's a, a legitimate visitor and who might be there to cause harm. But it, it's that balance act. It's a really tough, uh, tough activity. And plus, a lot of faith-based organizations don't necessarily have the funding to do a full-fledged security staff. It might be somebody who's working two or three different jobs and, and such. But there are, as you noted, there are a lot of uh, resources available. If you're not familiar with the Faith-Based Information Sharing Analytical Organization, FBI, Sal, I encourage you to give them a look. Um, they're, they're, they offer a lot of resources. CISA offers a lot of faith-based organizations and houses of worship, free resources online. There's a lot of great things to do there. And, and some of it is simple as the power of hello, you know, just greeting somebody uh, who may look suspicious may disarm or may, you know, reveal a situation a little bit more um, talking about kind of the other, you know, from the, the California shootings, extending that perimeter just a little bit, having the greeters out a little bit further out away from the main entrances. Those are ideas. Um, but there's a lot of resources out there this time of year that that whether you're a faith-based organization or just an organization in general, you can, you can get a lot of good uh, information there. But training is so important. So Joe, you know, with IAVM and, and you mentioned earlier, you've got the ABSS uh, uh, event coming up this weekend. Talk to us a little bit about that and what you guys, you know, you the plan has been ongoing for for several weeks now. How does this work and, and what's your target audience here and what, what are you trying to help, it, you know, the, the groups understand when it comes to venue security? Well, uh, so it's a two-year program. Uh, in the first year, we we focus on uh, planning and preparing, and the second year, responding and recovering. And we really we it's it's really geared for any type of venue. Um, we have people who come from stadiums and convention centers, performing arts centers. We have amphitheaters. We have racetracks. We have shopping malls. We have law enforcement. Um, we have. Um, parks and recreation. Basically, if you are somehow involved in security for a soft target and crowded space, uh, uh, the academy is, is definitely something that you want to look into. Um, it, um, it really focuses on trying to uh, build your awareness. It gives you the resources and tools you need to go back to your venue type immediately and, uh, and uh, apply some of the learnings that you get there. We, we focus a lot on risk mitigation and, and risk assessment, knowing that that is a process. So we try to impart those skills and exercises uh, to our to our students, and um, the we 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 try to uh, for individual discussion groups we try to break you up into your similar venue types and sizes so that you can really share ideas and learnings and experiences. Yeah. Interesting thing about the cohorts is that they the the networking opportunity uh, is pretty pretty incredible, and I, I went through the academy in uh, 2017 and 18. And uh, I still am very close to a lot of the, uh, a lot of my cohort then, and still to this day share, hey, what did you do with this? And how do you handle that? Um, there are, uh, as we've mentioned on this program a couple of times, there are subcommittees that also develop so that you can, you can talk to the other performing arts centers around the country, the other stadiums around the country and see what they're doing. Um, we, uh, we also try to get you on your feet. We try to get uh, people uh, to uh, you know, do it, uh, uh, an exercise where you're actually getting up out of the classroom and going to a venue. 
um, this this year, uh, uh, many years, Andy has been running, Andy Dror has been running our year two exercise. This year, Andy's got uh, a lot in store for the uh, for the year twos. We're going to get them on their feet. It's going to be more of a boot camp setting. We're really going to uh, look into uh, access control, uh, you know, mag and bags and frictionless screening, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, what do you do? A lot, a lot of venues um, have policies and procedures in place. You know, we're going to we're going to wand and, you know, reconcile the way to every bag that comes in this door. But what do you do after that? Let's say you find something. Let's say somebody breaches your security. Let's say somebody refuses to divest at your front gate and they disappear into your venue. How often are you uh, training for that? How often are you exercising for that? So uh, Andy's gonna lead some really good discussions at the table uh, that's gonna hopefully press people to really encourage them to, 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 to go that one extra step. Like don't just train your folks on how to not put their hand in someone's bag when they're searching through it, but what do you do next? How do you actually make sure that the people in your venue are safe? So that's gonna be a really fun boot camp this year. Um, and uh, at the end of the week, uh, you know, we, we wanna make sure that we're testing everybody's knowledge. So there's a, there's a, there's a sort of a, I like to call it a stress, stressless or stress-free exam at the end of the week, because we wanna make sure that you were paying attention and that the, our, course, uh, our courses are delivered by our subject matter experts um, you know, where you can, uh, you can comprehend the content in a way and take it back to your venues. Uh, there, there are things that you will, you'll bring back to your venue that will take a little longer to implement, but there are absolutely things that you learn right away. Um, I think registration might have even just come to a close or about to close, uh, although there are still a few slots available. So if you, if you try to get in and, they're the, uh, and you're having a little bit of challenge, you can just tell them that you heard it on this program and uh, we'll get them to, uh, you know, let everybody in. Uh, year one is really full. Uh, year two, I think there's a little bit of space left, but uh, we'd love to see you there. Um, there's also another program that IVM just developed called uh, IVSS, which is the Introduction to Venue Safety and Security. And that's really geared toward cross-pollinating your teams. Uh, I personally believe, and most people believe that everybody should be on your security team. If you're in the administrative team, if you're the stagehand, if you're a parking lot attendant, it doesn't matter. You should really try to send every one of your team members through some type of introductory, introductory, sorry, introductory um, course so that they just understand the vocabulary. They understand situational awareness. They understand, you know, some of the do's and the don'ts. So they understand a little bit of the of the uh, ethics in, you know, what you can or can't do. You know, when do you put hands on people when you don't do that? Um, you know, what's the duty of care that we have as venue types? Um, and that's a one to two day program that I think is usually in September or October. This next year, it's gonna be in Dallas. Uh, last year was in Boston. Uh, that's something that everybody should send. It's much more affordable, it's much more accessible. Uh, and it really is like the prerequisite to going to AVSS. So if you're concerned that you don't have enough experience to go to the academy, that's okay. Look into IVSS and then you'll you'll be ready to go to AVSS afterwards. So uh, I'm also happy to talk about AVSS and IVM, you know, ad nauseum. So uh, feel free to reach out. <laughs> no, really appreciate that, Joe. I think it's really important. I mean, and again, some people may say, oh, this is not a free material. Why, you know, we've talked a lot about free resources and free uh, uh, information out there, but hey, everybody, sometimes you're going to have to pay. If you want to be able to, to, to take that next level, you know, these, the, and I'm, I, I know, uh, you know, IAVM is not gouging people out of their minds for security things. It, it, it's practical. It's, it's what's important. And again, if you're going to benefit from this excellent uh, instruction and, and, and information there, it does come with costs. And, and I think a lot of places you can find that 
available to say, hey, look, this is a, a cost, but it's going to have these long-term impacts for our organization. We're going to reduce risk, and it's going to save us money in the long term because we're going to be better prepared. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that stuff. But but so before we start wrapping up here and going into some quite you know quick questions here, uh, any lingering thoughts, Bridget or Joe? Any anything you want to call out about any of the topics we've talked about already? I'm thinking that I need to write something on uh, train threats because there's a lot of misinformation. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, um, I, I I was actually um, asked, you know, by somebody the other day because they'd seen um, on one of the uh, major um, pundit programs them taking the the statistic of a thousand uh, train derailments last year and calling them attacks on trains. And I said, well, it was over a thousand derailment incidents last year, but only five of them were attributed to vandalism. You know, you go and you, you get the, 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 the actual statistics, you know, from uh, the, the, the feds, but, um, you know, but, but there is, you know, conversation to, to be had about um, <laughs> how groups are trying to attack trains. Um, and so I, you know, me and, loving accurate information and just wanting to you know kind of get that conversation out there of you know yes you know every, we've seen a lot of derailments in the past week or two um but um if if you're going to get alarmed about it um have the facts on you know how things get attacked you know who wants to attack them how would they attack them and what is accidental well, I think another great call out, Bridget, that's a good, great topic because it's another example too about when when information is not made available, the con the conspiracies fly rapidly and 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 off the handle. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm on Instagram or wherever and, and it's like, let me tell you the latest on the Ohio to, from a, you know, just a John Q. Public or something who's out there and, and pulling out everything that they found or heard or or the suspicious areas that they looked at. And then it gets continues to get promoted and, and widely disseminated. It, only now are we starting to get some communications out from the company and such. And, and it just shows you that level of incident response is just severely lacking with some organizations. And, um, and I'm not here to say, look, I'm not an expert on this situation. I haven't done a whole lot of analysis around this situation, but the more things go along every day that goes along and there's not more, you know, a, a, a public statement, then it, it can make it challenging and it makes things worse. And, um, and, and I feel uh, very unfortunate, you know, I feel very sad for a lot of the people who've been affected by this, um, the, the derailment in Ohio. And I think there have been, as you mentioned, Bridget, there were other ones as well. Yeah. Good, good call out. Joe, anything from your end? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would add that you know, for all for all your uh, all the different types of um, facilities and venues out there, a lot of them have EAPs. Uh, but I, I encourage people to just double check that you have uh, at the end of an emergency action a reunification policy and also a rally point, so that you you know where to go after uh, the event happens. It's it's really important for the families and friends of people who work there as well, so that they just can get. Uh, accurate information as quickly as possible. So uh, make sure that your plans are just uh, addressing what do we do afterwards? Obviously, in including your crisis communication is important, but more importantly, uh, how do you make sure that all your people are safe? 
Yeah, great, great, great call out as well, Joe. And there's been, you know, a lot of people focus on the incident response, but not necessarily that type of, you know, reunification and, and reintegration areas as well. So, so great call out as well, Joe. So, all right. So that's great, heavy topics we've gone through and, uh, and, and we remain on track. So let's transition now to a couple other, you know, like a couple of questions here to, to lighten the mood a little bit. So, you know, at the end of the year, you know, we last talked in December and we had a little bit of time. What was the one event that you guys did over this break or this time that, that, uh, took you away, you know, gave you a good respite from the, the day, day-to-day grind. What was the one, one thing that stood out for you? I'll start, start with you, Bridget. Well, I was going to say I started watching The Last of Us on HBO, but it's kind of a depressing show. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it actually of the last But I'll just put it this way. It's good to see some some fresh shows out there and something that you can just, uh, you know, like do on a Sunday night to, before everything jumps into it on Monday, so... Yeah, I mean HBO is so good with with a lot of their program. I I will admit I have not gotten into Last of Us. I'm uh, you know I'm I I I may need to take the dive here pretty soon because I've heard it's just excellent. So uh, very very good, very good. Uh, what about you, Joe? Any anything the a notable call out during the the holiday period and into the new year? Oh yeah, bittersweet. I'm an empty nester now. Um, my, my girls moved out and they moved into the city and, you know, I'm so proud and happy for them, but it's also just, you know, it, it, you know, vacillates between proud dad and sad dad. So, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, we moved them in and, um, you know, we, you know, we, although we, we, we talk a couple of times, uh, you know, here and there, uh, they are, they're living their best lives and, uh, I, I couldn't be happier, but, uh, that's, that's what we did after the break. Yeah, I, I I can appreciate that. My, my, uh, oldest son is, you know, he, he, he graduated last May and is in the army now and he's doing all his training. And so we're trying to, he's down at Fort Benning. So we're trying to get to see him as much as we can. He starts ranger school next week, not this week, but next week. And so it's, it's, we're going to have six weeks or so of uh, silence from him, but I, I can definitely appreciate that. I, I do though. I still have some young ones in the house uh, as well. So, um, but we, we enjoyed, I think for the, the break, we had a little bit more just la- last year, uh, we went to Costa Rica this year. We just decided to stay local. Uh, my in-laws have moved up to North Carolina. And so it's, it's just, we took a little day trips here and there and just did some things fun here and there, but, but mostly you, you had an extended stay in Costa Rica. You were not real willing to risk <laughs> yeah. if I understand. I'm I'm still PTSD from it. I still like. Do we want to go anywhere? I'm like, yeah, but it has to be in the country. But yeah, for sure. Um, so good. Okay. All right. What one? Uh, one one more question here, Bridget. Are you watching the new Magnum PI? Yes or no? Oh, no, I refuse. <laughs> adamantly refuse i will not watch a magnum pi reboot i will not watch a macgyver reboot if they did simon and simon i wouldn't watch that one either oh, simon, and simon. <laughs> simon and simon i love that one too i love it too wise guy i would not watch a wise guy reboot 
I, I think uh, we, it's a, we, a lot of people listening well, hopefully you can relate to those shows but some people are gonna be like simon simon what the heck is that <laughs> go back and look at that and uh and get some good stuff there um magnum pi i i saw it i was and you know they tried to do the same thing with the helicopter and all this other oh, stuff no. like, you just can't i mean I, i'm sorry you just can't beat Tom Selleck and and all the uh, all the crew there and and I know they you know Tom Selleck's been in a lot of other things since then but every time I ever see him it's Magnum PI and I I, I have a hard time getting beyond it. I, I miss Spencer for Hire, which they tried to make into a movie with Mark Warburg and it just it was just not the same. It was just not the same. Yeah, like like they tried to make a funny movie out of chips, and I'm like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's I don't get that either. Like they tried to make chips seem like it was some sort of weird show. Like I refuse to watch that. They did the same thing with Starsky and Hutch mm -hmm. too, and I'm like, like to make these things comedies is not necessarily the right thing to do here. I mean, I so yeah, it's always uh, interesting to see how they take our the shows of our youth and and try to to make them more appealing for today and it just that never works out and then everyone's like how how could you watch that show i'm like well it was a different like 18 18 was another thing like all those all oh, those yeah. uh steven cannell or canal shows that uh he had there um like they made a team into something completely different too so all right, enough ranting, getting off my lawn type of thing. Okay, so everyone, well, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, I do appreciate you joining us today on this President's Day. Oh, I'm sorry, Andy, this is George Washington's birthday uh, today. And um, if you want to hear Andy's, you know, uh, you know, dissertation on why he feels it's George Washington's birthday, you can listen to the Security Sprint podcast that him and I do on a weekly basis. But um, before we sign off with the token areas, uh, Bridget and Joe, anything you'd like to promote or plug? I know, Joe, you've been talking about the IAVM stuff. Anything else you'd like to promote on your end? No, I think that's good. If you can join us in Pittsburgh, uh, we'd love to see you. Yeah, and we'll add that stuff in the show notes, and I'll, I'll make sure I capture all that information in the show notes. And, and Bridget, anything you'd like to promote or plug? Um, planning for next law enforcement training webinar at HS today to be on extremist threats to law enforcement. And um, this is not just going to be focused on reactive threats, which is, you know, why, how I think a lot of law enforcement think of it. You know, you go out to a protest or something and, you know, mix it up with people who might be extremists, you know, there. But we're going to talk about predatory threats, mm. you know, accelerationists. For example, they, um, you know, deem it part of their strategy to go after law enforcement because they believe that law enforcement is keeping them from committing genocide on blacks and Jews. So um, I think that these are threats that it's a threat environment that I don't think a lot of law enforcement is um, completely uh, caught up on. So I, I think that we're going to have a really good session there. And these have been going on for some time now, Bridget. This is a very successful uh, series of discussions that you have geared for. Only attendees are only law enforcement, right, or federal federal government as well, or is it just law enforcement? Um, law enforcement or gov. So okay. you have to have a gov address to register. Great. So 
Yeah, this is a great thing. So we'll get get some of that information plugged in as well. So with that, everyone, we really appreciate your time today. And, and as a reminder for everyone, this is just one of a series of Gate 15 podcasts. You can listen to Andy and I on the Security Sprint, which is a weekly, a new weekly podcast that we started this year. We have the Risk Roundtable where Andy, uh, Jennifer Lynn Walker, and I get together and talk about some of the latest security topics. And then you have Andy Jabor's Gate 15 interview where he talks to some leaders in the security industry. He's got an exciting one coming up this week uh, that we really get into, or I'm sorry, next week that you really get into. So with all that, we encourage you to, to listen and to share with others and and for Bridget and Joe, we really appreciate you guys here today. And, and uh, thank you all for listening. And we will bid you adieu.